The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, I want to welcome everybody to The Springs. For those of you that are members, welcome. For those of you that are visitors, we are very happy that you have joined us today. For those of you that are online, welcome. Our vision here at The Springs is to be transformed into the image of Christ so that many will find their way to God. And we do this through three different ways. We gather together in the name of the Father like we do this morning, and we're gonna grow, we hope to grow into the image of his Son and be transformed into his image, and to go by the power of his Holy Spirit. And this year, we are focusing on the word grow. We are focusing how we can grow and be transformed into the image of Christ. So beginning next week, our sermon series for the month of June and July, we're going to have guest speakers come and, and give us a message on a sermon series called Practices of Love, Spiritual Disciplines for the Life of the World. And so next week, Ryan Jones is going to be uh, deliver, delivering our message. We'll also have Charles Ricks and Paul Whitmire. We'll have Jackie Halstead from Lipscomb University and Leah Redling will also uh, share a word and uh, proclaim God's mes- message to us. So we hope you join us this summer. We know summers are, are, are a mix of, of travel as we're getting back out, but we're hoping that you can join and begin not only hearing about spiritual disciplines, but actually start practicing them. For discipleship is not just an idea, it is a way of life. It is something that we practice. So we're excited about that sermon series. But today, we're going to finish up with our series in the Gospel of Mark, following Jesus. And so, if you want to open your phone, or your Bible, or if you just want to look up on the screen, we'll be reading from Mark chapter 16, 1 through 8. The Word of the Lord says this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the next day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as you were told. Trembling and bewildered. The women went out and they fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The ending of the Gospel of Mark, it's just weird. There's no other way to cut it. It's just odd because the earliest manuscripts of Mark ends, the earliest copies of Mark that we have actually end here in chapter 8. 
It ends this way. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I mean, something is just not right about that. At least that's what later uh, people that transcribe the Gospels thought. They said something's not right. Something's missing. It's almost like did something get torn off from the last piece of the scroll? What happened? It's abrupt. It just ends. It's mysterious. What happened? It's confusing. Something is missing. And so someone later thought, we need to fix this. There are some of us in this room that can't quite, I got to finish this. It's got to be finished. So we're not going to read it, but you get this other ending, which many of your Bibles say, hey, the, the, the earliest manuscript, manuscripts don't have this later writing. But then if you go to the, the later writing, it kind of gets even weirder. Not all of it. But it talks about seeing Jesus and not believing, which is not that weird. But you find that in the Gospel of John. You also find uh, another version of uh, the Great Commission, which you find more appropriately in Matthew. But then you get Stuff like this, and they will handle snakes. Those who are disciples will handle snakes and drink poison. And you're like, what? Drink poison? And to be fair, Paul handles a snake and acts and is bitten. There's no mention of poison, drinking poison in the rest of the Bible. It just gets kind of weird. And so many scholars, and I'm not a scholar, but including myself... I think that Mark chapter 8 is actually where the original gospel ended. Now, don't let that get you all in a, 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 a worried and confused. You can find almost everything in the, the, from 9 all the way to the end in other parts and other gospels and other texts. But here's why I think it actually ends in verse 8. Because if you read the entire gospel, chapter 16, 1 through 8, actually fits with Mark. Let me give you an example. So, Mark 16, 1 through 8 ends abruptly. I mean, they said nothing to anyone because they're afraid. The end. Guess what? The beginning of Mark's gospel starts very abruptly. It starts with the introduction. This is the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God, right? And then it goes right into talking about John the Baptist. It skips over the birth narrative. There's no birth narrative there. There's no preparation. It just goes introduction, boom, right into ministry. And in fact, most of the stories in the gospel of Mark don't have nice, clean transitions. It's just boom, one story to the next, abrupt, abrupt, abrupt. So that it finishes abruptly kind of matches the way Mark tells the story it's also a mysterious ending I mean this fits also because Jesus is a very mysterious Messiah in the gospel of Mark there's always this messianic secret that happens in the gospel of Mark when the demons actually say we know who you are you're the son of God he tells them shh 
And then when he goes and he heals people, he says, when you go back to town, don't, don't tell anybody. But what's ironic about Mark chapter 16, 1 through 8, is that the whole gospel, Jesus has been telling demons and people, shh, be quiet, don't say anything. And then we get to the end of the gospel, and there's an angel that says, go tell the disciples and Peter, go tell them this. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And what's ironic in this reversal of events is that they're told to say something, and they say nothing. Not a word. There's also confusion about this ending. But it matches Mark's gospel because if you're paying attention at all in the gospel of Mark, everybody, and I mean everybody, is confused. There is confusion up and down. They're bewildered. They're confused. They're astonished. They're amazed. All these words come up. Last week, I talked about the movie The Sixth Sense. I hope I don't have to give the, the, uh, the warning again, right? Uh, a spoiler alert. And I'm not going to apologize because it's a 20-year-old movie, and if you haven't seen it, you should be apologizing to me because it's about time that you've seen this movie, right? But do you remember the first time when you watched The Sixth Sense? And at the end, the secret was revealed. Now... Be honest, how many of you, after you watched it the first time and had this aha moment, how many of you went back and watched it again? Raise your hand. Oh, you are lying. All of you are lying. You know you went back. The Gospel of Mark kind of works like that. Once Jesus' identity is revealed at the end, just like in the sixth sense, you want to go back and say, how did I miss this? How did I not realize the guy was dead the whole time? How did I not understand who Jesus was? You want to go back to see all the clues along the way and say to yourself, how did I miss this? How did I miss that salvation is a way of life? If you go back, right off the bat, it's been about a way the whole time. So in Mark chapter 1, 1 through 3, it says the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, Son of God, which is an important title for Mark, because the only human being in the entire gospel to claim him Son of God is the centurion when he sees how he dies. Revelation, this man, this is the Son of God. This is, what, this, this is what it means to be Son of God, to, to suffer and to die. In verse 2, it says, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path. From the very beginning, Mark wants to give you a clue as to Jesus' identity as the Son of God. 
But Jesus' identity as Son of God has a specific meaning. And so right away, he gives us a clue that Jesus' identity has to do with a way, a particular way. A particular way of living in the world. And we think, oh, of course, this is about a way of life. How did I not see that? Well, Mark also is interested in what you see. We talked about this in Mark chapter 10, verse 52. It's the healing of the blind man. And he comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus says, go. Your faith has healed you. And it says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the way. Just like in the sixth sense, there are clues throughout the entire gospel of Mark. And once the ending is revealed, you go, I got to go back. What is he saying? How did I miss this? How could I not see this? It's interesting also that the blind man, what does he do when he receives his sight? He follows. And he follows Jesus along the way. But you could still say, I'm still confused. Where's the resurrected Christ, Mark? Because if you end in verse 8, you never see the resurrected Christ. That's pretty odd for a gospel, right? You never see Jesus resurrected. You hear the angel says he's resurrected. But Mark, I don't see him. But I think the ending begs the question, right? It's this abrupt ending about this mysterious Messiah who's been revealed now. And the confusion now kind of slowly and the fog clears away and we can begin to see and that he doesn't show you the resurrected Christ because what he's saying in the ending is that you can see the resurrected Christ when you participate in his way of salvation. That's when you can see him. You can see him when you imitate his way of life. That's when you'll see the resurrection you experience his resurrection when you follow Jesus along the way. Several weeks ago, Brett uh, talked about the documentary Free Solo. I don't know if you've seen this documentary. It's a documentary of this uh, rock climber uh, that attempts to climb El Capitan in uh, Yosemite in California. And he climbs it without any ropes, free solo. There's nothing to catch him. There's no harness that if he falls off the rock, 
he climbs this, this rock face. And you could see from this picture. They even talk about, they even talk about in the, the documentary, they thought they might witness someone, this man, fall to his death. And they are going to be recording this. Brett said this, I thought it was brilliant. The discipleship is kind of like free solo. Discipleship means you got to put some skin in the game. Following Jesus is a risky proposition. There are risks to it. Risks very worth taking, but risks nonetheless. And the call of Jesus is for you to put some skin in the game. To get on the wall without any of those safety nets, without any of those assurances, and follow Jesus because he got on the wall without any of those safety nets, without any of those assurances. Salvation requires some skin in the game. And I want you to resist the temptation right now to think about the debate over salvation and works here. Because Mark is not interested in that debate. He's just not. For Mark, salvation is not something you earn. Salvation is a way of life. And he's trying to get you to see that. It is a revelation, a gift that demands something from you. So when we get to the end of Mark 16, 7 through 8, it says, But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mark is about identity. It's the question, who do you say he is? Mark is about discipleship because who you say he is will determine how you follow. So the angel says this. He says, go say something about Jesus. He is going ahead of you and he wants you to follow him there in order that you might see him. And it says, they said nothing because they were afraid. And the book ends with fear. Fear is a huge theme in the gospel of Mark. People are afraid. People are afraid of Jesus. They don't understand who he is. You remember the demons? The demons are always afraid of Jesus. And they know exactly who he is. And I've said resist the temptation in Mark to think, well, of course the demons are afraid of Jesus. They don't want to follow because that's what demons do. No. What do the demons know that the people don't that make them afraid? Jesus has asked us, who do you say that I am? Because who you say I am will determine how you follow. And Jesus over and over and over again, he tells the disciples and he tells us, that he is the one who will suffer and die and rise on the third day. This is who Jesus is. 
This is his way. Servanthood, self-denial, humility, and taking up your cross and dying with Jesus every day. This is who he is, and this is who he calls you and I to be. He wants you and I to follow him in this way. Servanthood, self-denial, humility, and death. This is how God loves us and he loves the world. Therefore, it is how we love each other and love the world. It is the defining mark of what it means to be a disciple. It is the defining mark of what the kingdom of God really is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Christian that lived from 1904 to 1945. He was a prominent Christian leader during the rise of Adolf Hitler and Nazi, the Nazi party. You've heard me talk about Bonhoeffer before, but I think his story is compelling, and you'll see why. If you, if you don't remember, I want to remind you of this story, that he began resisting the Nazis in 1933, and he raised his voice against Hitler's persecution of the Jews. He insisted that the church should not just be a bandage, that it should not just bandage victims under the wheel, but it should actually jam the spoke of the wheel itself the very thing that's causing hurt and suffering. So he began developing underground seminaries. But there was backlash by the Nazis. And at the urging of his friends, he fled to America in 1939, just before the war began, to teach at a seminary in New York City. Over time, he regretted that decision and was convicted that he could not be a part of, of the healing of the church if he did not suffer with it. And so against his friend's urging, he took the last transatlantic ship back to Germany as the war began. Now, from all we know about Bonhoeffer, he was a pacifist. He believed in the way of peace. But he decided to join this underground movement led by his brother-in-law to resist the Nazis, and to assassinate Hitler. And so, he primarily worked to unite churches in order to heal the church after the war. But on April, in April 1943, Bonhoeffer was arrested, and he spent two years in prison, in a Nazi prison. And in 1937, he wrote a book, The Cost of Discipleship, which is now a classic. And in this, he says this in his book. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every person must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. That is self-denial. It is that dying of the old person, which is the result of his or her encounter with Christ. 
As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus, it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And then he says this. He says, when Christ calls a person, he bids us to come to die. On April 9th, 1945, just weeks before the end of the war, Bonhoeffer was marched out into the courtyard, stripped naked, and hung by his neck. And what rings from Bonhoeffer, what rings from his writings that he wrote in prison is this. Christ's call to discipleship is this. Come and die. This is Mark's call. This is Jesus' call through the gospel of Mark. Come and die. I tell you what, Mark would have made a terrible marketing person. Because the church and the gospel of Mark, you know what they have on their kiosk and on their homepage? Come die with us. But how does church growth happen? Nobody's going to come. And Mark says, Jesus calls this. Come die with us. Because if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for the gospel, you'll actually save it. There is something redemptive about this way of Jesus. There's something redemptive about servanthood and self-denial and death. There's something redemptive about the suffering with Christ for the sake of others. Martin Luther King Jr. understood this about his own suffering. He said this. He says... I have attempted to see my personal ordeals, my own suffering, as an opportunity to transform myself and heal the people involved in the tragic situation which now obtains. I've lived these last few years with the conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive. The call of Jesus, the call to salvation, The call to discipleship is clear. Servanthood, self-denial, and dying with Jesus. So the question to us as we finish the Gospel of Mark is this. Will you follow? Will you be afraid? Will you follow and serve everyone around you? Will you serve your friends and your family? Will you serve the least, the last, and the lost? Will you serve your enemies? Will you be 
afraid? Will you follow and deny yourself? Will you die to what you want for the sake of others, for the life of others? Will you be afraid? Will you follow Jesus and die with him? Will you die daily to yourself? Will you die to your selfish ambitions, your pride, the sin in your life? Will you be afraid? Will you follow by empathizing with our brothers and sisters who are hurting? Will you suffer with them and for them in order to transform yourself and to heal the people involved in the tragic situation which now obtains. The question for us is, will you follow? And will you be afraid? Let's stand and sing together.